So welcome back from your cruise. Yeah. I was a bit... I wasn't sure how to take this. When you had the picture up of you editing a podcast while on a treadmill, while yeah. <laughs> who knows what. You're on vacation. Why are you doing this? Oh, uh, no. That's my, that's my achiever brain. That's dedication to the show right there. Yeah, it was not as easy downloading very large audio files while on very slow internet, <laughs> which it's all relative, right? Because I've been really upset lately about how bad my home internet is, Okay, especially because a friend who lives in a major city got, what is it, gigabit internet, whatever that is, like the fastest possible. Yep. He has the Eero routers, which do you know about those? Have you had any interest in those? Oh, uh, yes. Those things are slick. You seem like the kind of person that wouldn't want to do that. You'd want to set up your own routers and do things in very specific ways. Yes. I'm not that kind of person. I like I like having everything done for me. And Eero is a really cool way of doing it. And he sent me a screenshot of his freshly installed Eros, and it's like 915 down and 759 up. That's his speed. <laughs> and I sent him my message back that is 10 down and 3 up. And it is... Uh, <laughs> A sad comparison. Google Fiber is in it, Kansas City, so they can get, depending on who else is in your area and who's doing what, they can sometimes get a thousand up, a thousand down. That is that is it, incredible. It's just not fair. So my ten ten down, three up feels bad, but then I go to a foreign country with a very weak internet infrastructure, and uh, I feel kind of okay. About my internet, which even though it's slow, it's like reliable and it can like download a file. It might take a while to download that file, Joe, but it will eventually download the file. And that is not what I was experiencing. So I was doing all kinds of crazy tricks to get things to download because I eventually realized that I have T-Mobile and T-Mobile allows me to have 3G internet no matter where I am. Okay. So I had that 3G internet on my iPad. So if I could figure out a way to download the file on the 3G internet on my iPad and then transfer it to my computer, I wouldn't have to rely on Wi-Fi. And then I had to think about, okay, but how do I send it from A to B? And it was, it was a lot. But I did it. I did the job. Sooner or later, I figured it out. And it all worked out. You just need to tell your co-host not to send you raw wave files. It was very large. <laughs> yeah, I should have thought about downloading it in advance, which, by the way, I was smart enough to not let my own files get stuck in iCloud Drive, which I don't know if you've experienced that yet or not, but every once in a while I'll think that I have a file on my computer and I'll realize that it has been deleted for optimization like off of my desktop or in documents. Has that happened to you yet? No, I did not know this was a thing. This might not be a thing for anyone but me. I use my MacBook so little that I, I just don't really think about it. So the hard drive is always full. And it's one of those things that I should never delay it because every time I look at my computer, I think, wow, I have no space on this computer. I should go get the external hard drive and do it, but I'll do that tomorrow. And then that happens repeated, 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 repeated. And so because my storage space is so low, iCloud Drive is constantly taking huge files, say raw wave files of a podcast that you just recorded, <laughs> okay, and just deleting them off of the computer, which is usually fine because it's not hard to get them back. But it's, of course, a very big problem when you are offline for a long while. So I was smart enough to, for my own files, remove them off of iCloud and put them in a folder where they wouldn't get optimized. Oh, interesting. No, I have not had this issue since switching 
from Dropbox to iCloud. And I think that might be a factor of me not switching until I had the new MacBook Pro. Mm -hmm. And this MacBook Pro has a 500 gig solid state in it. Yeah. So it's it's rather large. But I came from a 128 gig hard drive on the computer. Right. So I was used to keeping it down at, say, like 80 gigs worth of my stuff. And on the new one, I have a habit of keeping it around the 200 mark because I maintain a lot of podcast stuff on the computer itself now because I can instead of putting it on an external. Yeah. And as a result, at any given time, I have about 200 to 250 gigs of open space on that computer. So I haven't dealt with iCloud messing with me in that way. I have a 250 gig hard drive, I think. And I just need to go through it and and look at what's actually on there and what's not. And honestly, I should just throw a bunch of stuff in iCloud Drive. Have you upgraded to High Sierra? No, I have not. There's two reasons for that. I'm usually really reckless and throw caution to the wind and will install things as early as possible. Yes. I am less likely to do that because, like I said, I don't use my computer that much. And then I am even less likely to do that because it is one of those things where if there's anywhere that I don't want things to mess up, it's on my MacBook. Because if something freaks out and I can't use my iPhone or iPad, everything's in the cloud. It's not a big deal, including all my photos. But if something messes up on my Mac, I'm a little afraid of losing some critical file that hasn't made its way into the cloud yet. So I'm not super interested in upgrading anytime soon. I'm sure I will once it's like, you know, maybe like a 0.1 release or something, but not yet. Have you? Oh, yeah. I did it that night. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) How's it been? It's been amazing for me. But you're not usually that kind of person, are you? You're not like a beta person, are you? No, I'm not a beta person at all. But I once it hits Gold Master, I tend to jump on those fairly quick. A lot quicker now than I have been in the past. Historically speaking, I'm just like you. I would wait for .1 versions because then by that point, they've ironed out the bugs. They've X, Y, Z. You get the idea. Right. And I've kind of moved towards grabbing them right away. And I think that is a factor of maybe two things. One, I do a lot of IT work. And I do a lot of consulting and I do a lot of troubleshooting for people. And with that, I tend to want to know, what are the issues with doing this right away? I'll experiment on my own computer because I know I've got it backed up and I can always revert if I want. So I'm I'm more prone to do that on my Mac for sure just because I want to know what are all the issues. The other factor there is being a developer that I tend to always want the latest versions on it now so that I can make sure the stuff I've built is still functional on the new operating system. Right. I think that's why I do that. Yeah, I get that. It definitely doesn't help that a while ago I got bit pretty bad by that in the sense that one of the major things that I did previously with my computer was uh, live stream a weekly service. Oh. And I used, oh gosh, I can't. it's one of those funny things, you know, you open an app, all the time. And then once you stop, you kind of forget what it was. But it was like a live streaming app. Icecast? No, I can't remember what the heck it was. It was something that worked really well with YouTube streaming. And I wouldn't be surprised if something has come out now that has superseded it. But anyways, it was like critical that that work. And I had to use a black magic box, which is a little converter that converts the camera signal into something that the computer can read and all this uh, stuff. Oh, yeah. Like an H.264 encoder. <laughs> of course. Yes, of course. You slap me later. One of those things broke when I upgraded my computer 
because they had just not gotten around to like releasing the firmware for it. Oh, it was it was Wirecast. So either Wirecast or Blackmagic completely broke. I hadn't paid attention to it. And then the service rolled around that I was supposed to live stream. And I started plugging everything in and realizing that I was getting a black screen where the, the video signal should be coming in. And that sucked. And <laughs> yep. I had to do a whole lot of crazy stuff to figure that out in like the half hour I had before it was ready. So I don't know. I just – isn't that kind of a Mac thing too is like I – mean, what you just said. If you're developing for it, yeah, you better upgrade as soon as possible so that you can get everything – all your ducks in a row. But for a user, I feel like you can you can run into some issues with apps not being quite ready for prime time. And when that happens on iOS, the the worst thing that can possibly happen is you don't have a feature. You know, an app doesn't support drag and drop or something along those lines, split screen. But on Mac, man, if it breaks entirely, you're you're kind of out of luck. And I think part of my thing with that too is if say I upgraded my MacBook Pro and it completely bricked it. Like if that happened, which is extremely rare, if that did happen, I know that the things that I would need to do that are absolutely mission critical, I can grab another computer and do those through that. Right. And I can make that happen. Like if this thing bricked mid-podcast today and I had to do some stuff, say, at 5 o'clock my time, that would mean I would just go grab another computer from our church and I could use that temporarily until I get mine back up and running like i just have everything synced and everything in place to where i could do that so i'm a little less interested in trying to make sure that mine is always in top pristine shape because i've got enough backups and things in place to cover that whenever that does happen if that ever happens hopefully it doesn't happen please don't do this to me yeah and this is <laughs> i'm gonna have a problem tomorrow because i'm saying this now i'm toast but that's that's where i'm at is i have enough backups and stuff in place that i, I tend to not worry about the risk involved too much yeah it's inconvenient if something happened but i've never had anything bite me at that level with my computer now i'll preface all of that with saying this is an apple product if we're talking pc and windows world i will not update unless they force me like that is just <laughs> that's the way i do the pc computers that i support is like i do not want to upgrade these things unless i have to and that's partially a, a function of they take forever to update and things typically break whenever they do update. That's why I'm an Apple fanboy. <laughs> what is the worst thing that's ever happened to you? What's your computer nightmare, computer horror story? Probably the MacBook I had before this one where I had the corrupted file system on it. That's probably the worst case scenario for me because then my backups can become a problem. Yeah, did you lose a lot of data that way? I actually didn't, surprisingly enough, because I, I located the area of my hard drive that was the issue very quickly. I, I just noticed it very soon in the process. And because of that, I avoided that area, and I could keep an eye on where it was becoming a problem and stay away from it. Like, I was able to do that and manage to get my new one before it became a real problem. But if I had to wait another week... I could have been in some pretty serious trouble. That's the best story you can give me? You don't have any terrible stories? Come on, empathize with me. I have so many. <laughs> well, if we start reaching into other people's computers that I support, oh, yeah, we can <laughs> we can go for a while here. But me personally, that is probably the worst just because it completely destroyed that computer from the inside out. And luckily, I had the finances to replace it right away. If I didn't, then, yeah, I would have been in quite a spot. And maybe we can attribute this to your good planning and my bad planning, but <laughs> the amount of terrible computer stories I have is 
is unfair, in my opinion, compared to what you're giving me right here. I had a laptop crash a couple of years ago that took out all the data and was like super terrible. I lost a ton of stuff. I've had SD cards get corrupted where I lose all the photos on them. I've had some bad stuff happen. And all you're telling me is I lost a couple files. That's that's not cool. Well, even I didn't actually lose them because I had a backup. Now, <laughs> okay. if you want to go. All right, fine. That's, <laughs> that's not okay. But let's go. So if we go back in time to when I worked corporate, now that when I first started there, and I didn't lose anything because they were basically new computers to me, but they they gave me a run of the mill PC at that point it was a what was it it was like a base model HP Elite book if you're familiar with those at all but they they gave this to me and I told them you're gonna want to upgrade me because I'm going to torture this thing they didn't believe me and I gave it back to them ten days later because it had crashed and they rebuilt it gave it back a few days later I gave it back to them because it crashed again they replaced it with another version of the same copy-paste on the whole story. They eventually bought a computer that was, what was it, about $5,000 for this laptop, and it lasted me three months. And (laughs) I ended up going through like five computers before they finally bought me what I told them to buy me to begin with. And then it lasted me about a year and replaced it after about a year at that point. So yes, I have had some of those scenarios, but that was a case where they were taking images of the entire computer every night. So it wasn't like, you know, I, I could completely destroy that computer, take it down to tech support, and they could rebuild it and give me a brand new computer in like 30 minutes. Like they could do that. So I didn't actually lose anything. It was just annoying to constantly crash computers and get new ones. All right, fine. Well, I'll be the one with the computer problems. I'll let you'll... you keep them. <laughs> I, in earnest, though, this is part of why I don't like MacBooks as much as I like iOS devices because I feel like I can do – some crazy stuff to my iPad and my iPhone without having to worry about serious repercussions. I remember a few years ago before iCloud Drive, well, before iCloud was a thing, I had to take my iPhone in because it was having issues. And I don't, I don't remember what the problem was, but whatever the problem was required me to get a whole new iPhone. And I ended up talking with a genius that I don't believe was super good at his job just yet. And he wiped my phone <laughs> without asking me if he could do it. And I lost some photos from the night before, and that was it. And that's pretty incredible, right? That the worst thing that happens when someone literally took my device and destroyed it was some photos from a concert last night were gone. And now that's not even a problem because my photos are constantly getting uploaded to the cloud, and that's not a big deal. And so many apps, all of the data is in a respective cloud, either their own or iCloud. And that's it. I mean... There's not a whole lot that I can lose. I guess at this point, the biggest thing is iMessage, but I'm not that kind of person that tries to save conversations. Are you like that? Do you have like a record of all your iMessage conversations going back a long while, or do you let it get deleted? I assume they're gone after I've sent them. Like, I, is, If the message gets across, then I don't plan on it being there yeah. ever well, again. Well, you know, there's that, little, there's that little setting that says like delete after, I don't know what it is. 30 days, 60 days, or keep indefinitely. Right. And I don't care. Yeah, those can get deleted. So whenever I get a new phone, I have fresh iMessages. But I think that'll change soon whenever they turn on that iMessage iCloud feature where they're syncing up between everything. Right. So, yeah, it's pretty incredible the fact that you are pretty safe whenever you end up getting everything deleted. I mean, that's I had to explain that to my grandmother 
a while ago. She has an iPhone and an iPad, and like it's really revolutionized the way that she uses technology. I've actually written about it a couple times because I'm really impressed by it. She's one of those people that thought that Yahoo was the internet a long time ago and didn't really <laughs> understand the difference between her Yahoo <laughs> mail account and like the internet as a whole. Yep. And didn't really understand like how to do anything. But with an iPad, she all of a sudden felt much more comfortable because, oh, I can click this mail app and it'll take me to my email. Oh, I can click this Safari app and it'll take me to the internet. Oh, I can click this Google app and I can do a search. Oh, I can click this YouTube app and it'll take me to a video. And one of the things that I had a really hard time communicating to her was the fact that because everything was backed up, she would easily go from the phone that she had to an upgraded phone whenever she eventually got a new one. And the fact that that doesn't exactly exist on the Mac makes me less interested in using it every day. I know... Some of the folks, you'll get a kick out of this. Back in the day, whenever I was working in that same corporate job, one of the things I was doing was like field tech support for some of the folks in our department. And one of these people at one point called me because they had an Excel spreadsheet they were working on. And I had sent them some data that they needed and they needed to put it into their existing file. So simple, copy, paste it in. That's all they needed to do. And this person called me and asked me if there was a way to get the data from the file I sent into his file without manually entering these thousands of rows of data. Good, 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 good. He, he thought he needed to type it all in, and he'd never heard of copy-paste, let alone the keyboard shortcuts for how to do this. Like, th this is basically computer 101 is copy-paste, but this person had never... Never heard of it. And there are new features that continue to come out today that you would think are second nature, and yet we make a big deal out of them, say, like, totally drag and drop. Like, <laughs> this is not new. We've been doing this for a long time, and yet it's, like, the keystone feature of the new iPad, and yet people are fawning over this left and right. And it's a big deal if you have it incorporated or not. I couldn't say, don't have an iPad Sorry. They should have made a video showing how you can drag and drop on the Mac to really blew people's minds. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Split screen, drag and drop. Incredible. It's amazing. Yeah. You'll, it'll change your life forever. Now on the Mac, they could just say that, and I bet people would be like, ooh, really? Amazing. <laughs> have you used any of the drag and droppy features on the iPhone? The one that I think is pretty notable is the fact that you can bundle up a bunch of app icons in your hand when you try to reorganize your home screen now. I don't know if you know that you can do that or not. I did know that. I have not done any of these things. I I fiddle with my phone layout very little. If anything, I'm moving one completely off my phone, said deleting it, right. and then I will replace it with a new one that I just installed. And that's, you know, that happens maybe every couple weeks or something whenever an app bites me. I'm looking at you, Fantastic Al. But there's there's cases where things like that happen but other than that yeah i don't i don't fuss with it a whole lot what did fantastical do to you oh it can't give me directions correctly i i've twice now someone has sent me a, a meeting invite with an address or a, a, a restaurant per se but I'll, I'll tap on it and it will tweak the address before it gets to say apple maps or google maps doesn't matter which one i use it tweaks the address and then types it in and it sends me to this other place and when i get there i end up being 
you know, five miles away from where I'm supposed to be. And then I look up the real thing and find out, oh, fantastic how screwed me over again. Does it does it change a digit? What does it do? I don't know what exactly what it does because it seems random. Okay. Like it's not like it it changes the street name occasionally. It changes the, the physical number on occasion. In one case, I had a restaurant and it just picked the wrong one even though the address to the one I wanted to go to was in the address field. It's frustrating. I, I don't know what or how it's doing it, but – it keeps changing the address. That seems like a problem. So I don't trust it anymore. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's not okay. <laughs> no, it's not okay. <laughs> so goodbye, Fantastic Hell. We had a good run, but I'm not going to do this anymore. And I just installed it. Sorry. I guess I won't use it for directions. Yeah, it's great for pretty much everything except that. But I do that exact scenario enough that it's not – I can't trust it. So I'm not going to use it anymore. You have High Sierra and you have iOS 11. Yes. You like them both? So far. Any tent pole features? Well, the, the one that – so I struggled for a long time with the universal clipboard because, I mean, think about what I do. I write code, and I'm very frequently logging in and out of things. And a very common thing, two-factor authentication, I will use the Google Authenticator app for those types of things when I can. Right. And I pull that up, and you can tap on it, and it will copy it. But I'm trying to paste it on my computer, on my Mac. Having universal clipboard actually work in that scenario is amazing. So with the previous versions, it didn't seem to work very reliably, and I struggled with that. But now that I've got the two of them upgraded, it seems to be working a lot better. So that's that's probably the one thing between those two that I'm super excited about. I don't know if I've ever actually utilized that. Is that something you have to turn on, or is that just on automatically? I don't know the answer to that. I think I turned it on early on, but I don't know if it's a default on default off i don't know what it is i kind of forgot about that as a whole so i should look into that and see if i can make that function because that'd be definitely nice between my ipad and my iphone sometimes yeah because it, it keeps me from using the airdrop thing because that was what i was using as a backup how about high sierra anything there i can't say there's anything about high sierra itself that has been super amazing from a from a ui standpoint the thing about high sierra that i've been really excited about is the new file system that they put into it and that thing you know there's some little gems in there they would bore people to death <laughs> to go into that okay good to know so i'm not going to go there but suffice it to say that as a developer working with that seeing some of how that impacts say safari or how moving files around happens because i do enough work for our church with very large video files, like some of those I get back are 100 gigs or better for a single file. Like some of those are just monsters. Right. And being able to work with those in a very solid way and having them just work and they're faster, I just, I'm happy about it. I heard about that. And that is actually one of the reasons that I've delayed a bit. A couple of people reported having some error issues when they were converting their hard drive, right, to the new file system. Do you have a Fusion drive? No. Is that the problem that people are mostly having it with, is a Fusion drive? Yeah, so the new file system is incompatible with the Fusion drives. So the Fusion drives, they have the solid state for, say, half of it, and then they have a typical spinning hard drive for the other half, and they've done this Fusion process to make it look like one hard drive, and it's those drives that it's incompatible with. I, I have heard a few reports of it causing problems, but it seemed very rare that that was an issue, which is why I didn't even bother to consider that whenever I did the upgrade. But if that's something that concerns you and you have data on your computer that's nowhere else, I might be a little 
hesitant, but everything I have is backed up. The one thing that I'm excited to uh, update High Sierra for is Notes, because I'm a big Apple Notes user. Oh, right. And I love some of the features that exist on iOS 11, and I want to see them on my Mac as well. So far, I don't. Yeah, I'm not a Notes person, because I've been using Ulysses heavily for all my Notes stuff, but... There are some things, like I, I did install it back on my phone just to play with notes because I, I had it deleted, Drew. I understand. <laughs> Do a live test of the book scanning technology. Remember how it used to freak out on me? Oh, yes. All I right. saw this video, see. and it was okay. very entertaining to see. All right, I'm going to put a book down. I picked up a book off my shelf. Oh, it tried. Oh, the, the page fell. Oh, God, I can't keep a page open. <laughs> It looks better. It's definitely better. It's not not going to take a picture if you can't get it to center on it. It's still freaking out for me. If anyone has been using this page scanning technology and it's actually working really well, let me know. Because right now, mine's just freaking the heck out for no reason. And I want it to work so bad, Joe. You know I want it to work. <laughs> well, this this won't make you happy. I did test that feature after I upgraded. It was literally the first thing I wanted to do after I got upgraded. Because I wanted to know... Can I scan my handwriting and get it to OCR it? That's, that was the primary thing I wanted to know. It, spoiler alert, no, it doesn't work. But it grabbed the picture perfectly and immediately for me. Maybe I, maybe I, maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe I, can't keep the, <laughs> maybe I can't keep it steady enough or something like that. I don't know what's going on. But So you are now totally in iCloud? No more Dropbox for you? I still have Dropbox around because we use it to pass files, say, between you and I. And I use it for the other two podcasts I run as well to just pass files back and forth. But as far as my own file structure goes, I did move that over to iCloud. And then anything I had that was syncing with Dropbox, I pulled it off of Dropbox and put it onto iCloud, at least where I could. Dropbox is primarily a file passing system for me. Right. And even within that, it's mostly just for podcasts at this point. So if it's something that's just made for you, you just want it in the cloud, it's in iCloud. And if it's something that you're sharing with others, it's in Dropbox. Correct. Yeah, and there's some, I mean, I've got Google Drive around too. Uh, it's hard for me to stay on one, and that's mostly because of the client stuff that I do. Right. Because it seems like everybody's on Google for everything, the whole G Suite thing. Everyone has a Google account. It's kind of the way it goes. So even some decent-sized corporations that are that, that I'm doing some work for that I would not expect to be on Google, they're on Google. So they're going to take over the world, Drew. So yes, I do have most of my stuff in iCloud, but I do keep Dropbox. I have a Box account, too, uh, that I use to pass stuff between my wife and I. So <laughs> I'm all over. What do you think of Dropbox's new redesign? <laughs> uh oh that was a that was a good that was a good long pause so i can interpret that you're not into it huh not at all i was showing it to my wife who has a graphic design eye and she asked me if this was a joke uh, i showed it to our graphic designer at the church and she had no words she just stared at me and said you said dropbox right as in the cloud storage monster company like yep okay so, <laughs> so some designer folks are not excited about it i don't claim to be a designer in any way but i just know that scrolling through this dropbox design page it really made my eyes hurt it's bold 
there's no way to say that except that it's very bold. <laughs> yep, that's there's one way to say it. What were your thoughts? Surely you have opinions on this. Yeah, I, I like it, actually. I think it's really neat. Really? Yeah, I don't know if I love everything about it. I think that the font that they chose is getting a lot of hate. And the crazy thing is that it's actually this typeface that can be used in a ton of different ways. Okay. And I think that they used one of the craziest because you can make it really thin. You can make it really bold. You can make it really wide. You can make it really narrow. And they chose to make it as bold and as wide as humanly possible, which is not necessarily the most readable thing of all time. Right. It's kind of crazy. And actually, depending on what computer you used, it changed the entire layout. I don't know if you know that or not. I did not know that. Yeah. So on a mobile computer, they would show you a totally different font than on a MacBook. And on an iMac, they would show you a totally different font than on a laptop. So it actually got bolder with the bigger screen so that probably didn't help their case that a lot of people that would consider themselves developers and designers saw it on this ultra wide screen with this ultra wide font and the choices in color are also a bit much you know they chose this very like salmony pink and this very foresty green and this very deep blue and vibrant purple and kind of splashed them all together. But I, I get it. I mean, you know, if they had decided that this was Dropbox.com now, I think that'd be a problem, but it's not. It's Dropbox.design. And it was an entire page trying to explain to you that they are taking a different direction. And I think they got the point across, don't you? I think we all know. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> it is a, a different thing than they used to be. This this is what I wanted to bring up to you, though, is there's a weird intersection, if you use that term that gets thrown around often, between productivity and creativity. And I think that what we're seeing is a lot of companies that have been put in the productivity box are rejecting it and deciding to go to the creativity box. And... I think that that rubs people like you who value productivity and order the wrong way. And I don't know if you're wrong in that because what you just said is they are a file system cloud storage thing. Like that's what they are to me. Why are they trying to be anything different? Right. And you shouldn't think otherwise, right? I mean that's what they've been for years and that's what you use it as and – Especially for people who are paying customers, it's like, well, yeah, I pay every month for you to do this thing. And now all of a sudden you're kind of rejecting that concept and saying you're something a bit different. I don't know if I love it. But I don't know. I, I think it's a good move. I think that trying to embrace creativity is a good idea. I just don't know if the right way of doing it was rejecting the productivity angle entirely. And maybe that's the hang-up I have because the – from a design standpoint, the site itself just screams at me, and it, it, it's because it's so bold and so vibrant, because it's so far over the top. Here's the nice thing about what I do is I have a lot of clients who come with their own designers, and they design the site. I'm simply the builder of that design. So I get to see a lot of designers take on the Internet, and this, from what I've seen – is way beyond anything I've seen some of these top designers come up with. And that might be a good thing. I mean, it definitely got them some press for sure. Sure did. But 
at the same time, I was like, okay, salmon pink with forest green on it. Okay, maybe there's a design trend I've never heard of. I'm not a designer. I don't keep up with this stuff. Maybe I'm not familiar with this, but as a consumer, this is so bold and so far out there, I had a hard time with it. Now, the one thing that I really had an issue with was the font. I know a lot of people had that issue because so much of the stuff I do is about reading words on a screen, and they break a lot of the rules with that font, and it does make it harder to read to the point that I found myself scrolling through pictures and not wanting to read it just because it was so difficult on my eyes. And to be fair, I was reading it, well, scrolling through it on my phone to start. That's where I started with it. Uh, I didn't realize it completely changes when you get to a wider screen, but at the same time, it's not drastically different to me. Knowing how responsive sites are built, it's not that far off. Right. Yeah, it was intense. The first time I went through it, it kind of shocked me. And I, I did have the same thought, like what you're saying is, they are a productivity app. I understand trying to go the creative route. What I don't know is, what's the intent with this? Like, if you're going to redesign and rebrand, why did they do a separate page to show off the design without implementing it into their tool itself? Are they just testing the waters? Like, what's the goal here? Yeah, my guess would be that they have been developing some new tools or apps or concepts inside of Dropbox internally that will see this design reflected very well. I would imagine, and this is, I could be totally wrong, but I would imagine that the core product, Dropbox, the cloud storage file system, isn't going to see some crazy redesign. There's no way in my mind, and I will eat my words if they do, but there's, I can't imagine <laughs> them theming their file system like this because it's very discordant and I think it would really cause a lot of users to be upset. But you know how they made that Dropbox paper app a while ago? Right. I think that in tools that they see as tools to empower creatives, we're going to start seeing this design. And I don't think that's bad. I think that's cool. I think that there's plenty of people making productivity collaborative tools and some of those need to be a bit more creative and I'm, I'm, I'm into it. So I definitely will reserve like full judgment until we see this design implemented in new ways. But as a whole, I think it's kind of, kind of neat and definitely differentiates them from Google drive. Right. Well, for sure. Yeah. That's, that's the nice thing about it. So I, I think I'm with you. Like I can see how if they're gearing more towards creatives, cause it's, you know, they even call out, uh, what do they say here? Dropbox isn't just a place to store your files. It's a living workspace that brings teams and ideas together. So the part that stands out to me there is the ideas bit. So they're, you know, and having ideas is a very, it's very strongly correlated with creativity for sure. So I could see how they are attempting to make that jump and trying to get into that space. That's a cutthroat space though. It is. Like that is a tough one. So they have their work cut out for them, and I could see how trying to go super bold with this might be a good play to help them get there. Right. My concern would be that they make that play, and they, because they, they've already been accused a couple times of not pushing the envelopes, like, say, Drive or iCloud have, which is kind of weird since they somewhat pioneered this space. They've been accused of not really keeping up with how some of these other folks are doing things. So... 
my concern there is that they will abandon the thing that got them where they are so much so that it causes them to struggle as a company. They do need to make sure <laughs> if they're going to make that play, the thing that pays the bills needs to continue to, to grow and get better. Well, I think that you just said that this thing that they're trying to go into is a cutthroat industry. But I would say the same thing about the current industry that they're in, right? Right. Competing right. against Google for cloud storage is not maybe – No big deal. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's fine. It is fine. That was the end of my it's sentence. just Google. <laughs> the, their logo, which, by the way, I think is very good. I like their new logo. They kept it very simple. They kept it very normal, but they are going to do some really creative stuff with it. They they say that their old logo implied Dropbox is a great place to store stuff, and the new one evolves it from a literal box to a collection of surfaces to show that Dropbox is an open platform and a place for creation. So I am very curious to know what Dropbox as an open platform looks like and Dropbox as a place for creation looks like because if they start creating creative tools or start creating some sort of platform that competes with maybe a network or a contemporary or traditional file system that would be very interesting and i think i might find myself very curious about dropbox where right now i have no interest in paying for any of their premium features so it's interesting for sure fair enough I do know that from a web developer standpoint, this site is actually really easy to build. <laughs> My guess is that we're going to be seeing a whole lot of this wild design, especially out of Silicon Valley. I, I thought about Medium as the precursor to all of this, who went through what I imagine many design teams will go through, which is starting from a very, very simple place, a black M, and then going crazy and creating this wild green M that represents a million things and has all this stuff and then eventually reining it back in and coming to a better black M. <laughs> and I mean, <laughs> that's what they did for their icon. And I think that's what we're going to see a lot of people do is you start out very boring and then you want to branch out from that boringness and you go very crazy. And then eventually you'll meet in the middle. And I think a lot of things are going to end up meeting in the middle. And I don't think it's going to be a bad thing. I think that more creativity and less like rote, normal, very simple and simplistic and uninventive design, maybe we can say, is not necessarily the best way. And letting people be more creative and distinctive is great. I'm into it. Here's the other question I have about it because I, I don't disagree with you. I think it's interesting to watch companies come up with something very wild and – the question I have is, is that creativity for creativity's sake or is that a marketing ploy? Like that's that would be my question because I would wonder if – because a lot of companies do this. Like I've, I've been with companies and built the stuff for them so that they could do that. And it's it's very interesting to watch the designers and the marketing teams sit together and push something really far just to get a buzz going about it. That that was one of the questions I had about the Dropbox design thing is, is this simply a marketing thing? And then they're wrapping it up in a creativity artistic box of sorts to deliver it. But is it a marketing thing? And then they'll back off of it later after that marketing deal is over. I don't know. It, it could just be me being forever the skeptic, but that's one of the things that I always have to ask, and it's purely because I've built those things before. Right. So I, I tend to have those questions. I don't know which way it is, 
but it's something that I tend to just keep an eye on. Yeah, no, I get that. I think that Dropbox is sincere. I hope so. And I'll look forward to seeing what they do with it. But so far, all we get is this crazy website. <laughs> at least it's fun to look at. It's very fun to look at. I'm into it. So I went all the way to Germany and brought back a souvenir. And it is a beautiful pin by, I have it right here. What's the company? How do you say it? Kawiko? Kawiko. And I used to have this really great um, machined brass pen, and it became so sentimental that I actually stopped using it because they don't make it anymore. You ever had something like that happen? Yep. I, that it probably isn't the most logical concept, but I had lost one, and then I had repurchased it, and then I realized that I almost lost it once and thought maybe I should buy another one, went to try to buy it, and it didn't exist anymore, and thought, ooh, I love this thing too much to lose. So it just sits at home in a drawer and it's kind of sentimental. So I needed a new everyday pin to stick in my bag and I brought this one back and posted it online, got some nice feedback, got a nice piece of feedback from you and then you retracted it because it's a ballpoint pin and not a fountain <laughs> pen. So I didn't I didn't know that you were into pins, but I take it that you are. You didn't know this? Oh yes, I have four fountain pens. Wow. I'm I'm a pen and paper nut. I, I well, I shouldn't say nut. I'm not crazy with it. I say that knowing that I buy expensive notebooks and have four fountain pens because uh, I am far from where some people are. Right. Uh, so, yes, the the Cueco, the one that I have my eye on is the Cueco AL Sport, which is an aluminum. Which is what I have. It's specifically the fountain pen version of that because the nib, the actual writing point on that, is one that they recommend for people right after your beginner's fountain pen. Hmm. So whenever I saw... Because I reckon the body is very recognizable on these pins, and whenever I saw your photo, I was like, "Oh, Drew's a fountain pen guy. We should talk about that's a ballpoint, really. Retracted. You did. This is one of the Keystone pins that people tend to recommend, and you bought a ballpoint like that. It kind of." Yeah, I got pretty riled up over that on my end of things. This is actually really surprising to me because you don't strike me as the kind of person that would be so into something that I would consider non-optimal. Maybe you don't see it that way, but to me, you're, you're more of a pragmatist. So I know you love pen and paper, and I assumed you would get the most convenient form of pen and paper possible. But fountain pens aren't the most convenient form of that. They're kind of hard to write with, aren't they? Well, once you learn how to hold your hand with it, no, they're much easier. And here's here's the thing. So the reason I got into fountain pens was so that I would spend more time writing by hand. And the reason I wanted to write by hand is because I knew that writing letters to people has a much higher impact than writing an email. That's a, it's proven in all kinds of ways. I think everybody would agree you'd rather get a handwritten letter versus an email every day of the week. You would rather that. Definitely true. So – I struggled with finding the motivation to do this. I'm a person that can be very motivated by using very high-quality tools. And having high-quality tools will lead me to doing a thing that I normally would not have done. And Fountain Pens is the prime example of that for me. I am much more prone to journal at night. I am a lot more prone to, say, write out my day's list ahead of time if I have a fountain pen and a good set of paper to do that on. And that's that's why I had those to begin with. It's kind of gotten a lot worse <laughs> since heading down that path 
But I have, let's see, what is the, so I have a Twisby Diamond 580. So people who know fountain pens, you'll recognize that one right away. But I use that one as my primary fountain pen. And this, I don't know if I want to bring this up yet or not. Oh, God, what does that mean? I'm in the middle of leaving OmniFocus for a paper system as a result of some of this. And that's quite the thing. Like, that's... I built a whole video course on OmniFocus, so for me to leave it yeah. is quite a thing. And I'm primarily looking at fountain pens, and if you know Loic Term 1917, the notepads, they do the bullet journal right. deal. Uh, they have some very high-quality fountain pen paper in those notebooks, so I have gravitated towards those. And I have learned through now a handful of years using fountain pens and paper, that whenever I do my thinking on pen and paper with high-quality tools, I like to do that more. And I am more prone to using it if I like using those tools, which is partially why, and it's a small piece of why I've been moving over to paper as opposed to OmniFocus, because I will actually use the system more when it's on paper, because I like using those tools. Now, the flip side of that is that I'm also making that shift because it's another form of me doing things off of computers because I do so much on them. Mm-hmm. So it's a way for me to get away from it a bit to get the clearer thinking on it. Because I've found that the more time I spend on the computer, if I'm doing something in OmniFocus and then I turn around and go write code and then I go check OmniFocus and do things there and then I go write code and I do that shift back and forth through the day, if I'm using a fountain pen and paper to keep track of my task, it forces me to stop on the computer, go over to pen and paper, do my thing there, and then come back to the computer. So the computer becomes a tool to use as opposed to the end game. I just gave you a big, long rant there. <laughs> you didn't know We didn't know we were opening this can of worms today. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I wouldn't have guessed that either. That's pretty wild that you didn't move from OmniFocus to some other app, but you completely removed the app aspect and it's now totally done in pen and paper. So, I mean, I, I understand it. I think that, okay, here, here's a weird question for you. Are you ready for it? All right, hit me. The, my question is, if you could have a dedicated, super simple to use pen and paper equivalent of OmniFocus, what I mean by that is like a super thin, always on, easily accessible screen that used OmniFocus, would you prefer that or would you still want pen and paper? I would still go pen and paper. Interesting. Because to me, a big part of pen and paper is the just ever-present nature of it. Like I had to write down a couple of to-dos and I just – and I think this is, again, a moment for you to plug drafts to me. But we all know that that's not happening. So we just need to let that <laughs> let that go by. I would have to write your schemes for you. I yeah. <laughs> I, but I, it was just like that that momentary delay between I want to write this thing and I have to open my phone and open the app and find the button to create the new to-do is just enough to like be an annoyance. And the beauty of pen and paper, right, is that it's just there and you just write it down however you want and whenever you want. And then you don't have to go and look at it later. It just is there on your desk ready to be seen by you whenever. Here's some of the rationale. I mean, there's a lot that goes into this, but the thing you need to know is I do move around a lot. It's not uncommon for in a given day for me to work from three different places. So I do move quite a bit, especially whenever I'm doing some work at the church. 
because my workspace at the church could be the youth room, could be the IT room, could be the children's area, could be the main offices, and that building is huge. You know, I think, what would we decide? You can walk six laps around it and get a mile. I mean, it's it's a big building. What's the third space? Oh, I'll go to a coffee shop or something. Oh, really? I'll come home or I'll work upstairs. I do some of that on occasion. I'm just learning so much about you right now because I've always assumed that you work from your home office and from your church office desk. And you're telling me, you're throwing all, all that out the window for me right now. <laughs> I'm wrecking your world. You See, are. You throw in a couple of my other IT clients or local businesses that I do websites for, and sometimes I work from their offices too. So it, it, it can it can fluctuate. This is why I try not to lock myself into using an external monitor for my computer very much because I never know if I'm going to have it or not. I could have it at home, but then I'm less prone to being able to do what I need to do somewhere else. Like right. it, it just locks me in too much. So I, I do float a lot. So keep that in mind <laughs> with paper because that means I have to carry this notebook everywhere I go. Yeah, so that's another strike against it. Yes, and you would think that would be enough to say don't do this. But here's the little philosophical thing in the back of your brain that happens. If you use a task management app or a service of any kind, doesn't matter if it's a website, an app, uh, or some text file that you have. It doesn't matter what it is. Whenever you're doing that, you're immediately locked into typing letters on a keyboard. And 95% of the time, that's fine. But the trick is you're going to have to organize it in some way. Even with a notepad, you're still going to have to organize it in some way. But the trick here is that with pen and paper you're not locked into how the tool works. You're never locked into, this is how you put in a due date. You're never locked into, this is where you type in the next task, or here's where you need to type in your project support. You're never locked into any of that because you can set it up however you want. And you can put whatever you want, wherever you want, and it doesn't have to be just text. Well, because of the fluidity of that, and because of your flexibility and the the natural state of paper because we learn how to write very early because of that it's second nature to use paper you don't have to think about how to use it it's pen and paper we know how to use it because of that you spend less time thinking about where it's got to go and there's i'm talking about milliseconds of time that that's involved here but from a creativity standpoint it makes a big difference so between the time that i have an idea that i need to write down or I think of a task I need to write down, or I'm brainstorming a project. It doesn't matter what those are. I I don't have to stop and think about it with paper, whereas I do if I'm using something like OmniFocus or a mind mapping tool or you name it. I don't have to think about it because I can I can write lists of things right next to pictures I'm drawing and never change the tool. Like It's just all hmm. right there. So the, the phil- philosophy behind it is that it's so second nature that you're more creative and more genuine with what you're writing down, which in my case, because I'm using fountain pens and nice paper, makes me more prone to use it. So I've done more brainstorming since I've switched over to this and had a lot more clarity towards what I should be doing than I think I've had in multiple years now. (laughs) And I'm kind of wishing I'd done this a long time ago. This was a deeper conversation than I anticipated. (laughs) I thought you were just going to tell me that you thought fountain pens were cool. So you are... Big on pens, big on paper, and now big on pen and paper as your task manager. Yeah, I'm 
about two weeks into it at this point. Is there anything from OmniFocus that you're missing? Right now, the, the, the sticking point for me, and it, it's not something I've had to cross yet, the sticking point for me is going to be when I need to go to a different notebook because this one's full. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be a problem. That one I haven't nailed down, and I have a feeling I'm going to end up carrying two notebooks for a while to transfer things, and specifically pieces like a someday maybe list, like long-term ideas lists. I am considering putting those into something like Ulysses so that I can keep those digital but still capture them in the notebook or on – I keep note cards in my back pocket too. But, you know, I I, I do think I'm going to need something for the longer term. That way I'm not constantly copying those things over. However, at the same time, I am considering leaving it as is on paper because then it would force me to rewrite those and that could be a good pruning time. To, to go through all of the stuff I have and just see what should I keep, what shouldn't I keep. I don't know what that's going to look like yet. I'm a little nervous about that part, but I'm not there yet, so I'm not going to worry about it yet. What about calendars? Would you ever do a pa- pen and paper calendar? Uh, I don't think I would, and it's, that has more to do with other people sending me invites so much and having links to the meetings there because I usually have four – Five meetings like that in a week that I'll just click a link and go to a Zoom or a Google Hangout or something like that. So I don't. The The tricky part that gets there is I actually end up using my digital calendar more as a result because there are things like take out the trash that happen on a recurring basis. And I don't want to have to re-enter them all the time because it just gets to be a lot. So I just created a tasks calendar and put those there which when i stop and think about it that's probably where they should go anyway yeah that would make sense if anyone is listening to this and hasn't used omnifocus you end up putting your whole life into omnifocus in a way that i don't think i've ever experienced with any other app because of its ability to do so much i think it pushes you to do a lot more with it than anything else so i've used omnifocus to doist and things I am currently in things. I really love it. I don't see myself transferring away at any other time. But my switch from OmniFocus to Todoist, which I did for collaborative tasks, by the way, was much, much, much harder than my switch from Todoist to things. And I realized that in both Todoist and things, I've used it so much less than OmniFocus because OmniFocus really just encourages you to do everything in it and go in this granular detail that you wouldn't necessarily do in other places. So... I would I would imagine that your OmniFocus was pretty rich in information. Yes, and to be honest with you, I've still got – I still have a number of someday maybes, random lists, and checklists that are in there that I'm still trying to get pulled out and put elsewhere, and that is a slow process. So I am with you. Trying to move off of OmniFocus is not simple because it's so good at what it does. Like I still highly recommend it. I mean I've got a whole video course on it. So you know these are things that – If I was to ever go back to a digital system, which I'm not ruling out because who knows what three months into this paper experiment looks like. (laughs) But, you know, if I ever go back to a digital system, OmniFocus is where I'll go. I mean, that's that's what I know and I know it'll do what I need it to do. And it does things that I can't get other tools to do. But at the same time, I know at this point, I know some of the benefits of getting off of a digital task manager entirely and I'm going to keep running down that road for now. Uh, do you have a certain kind of method of doing this, by the way? Are you using like a bullet journal or anything like that, or just 
doing it on your own? I have a tendency to create my own on these sorts of things. So I follow the getting things done process, and I know the lists that I need based on what I used to use in OmniFocus. I do know, I will tell you that my current notebook that I'm using for this is set up all wrong <laughs> because, you know, after using it for a week, I realized there are some of these things that I transferred over in a way that I used to use them in OmniFocus that doesn't make sense on paper. So I'm, I'm sure here in about two weeks time, I'm going to end up buying another notebook and then recreating it again. And that process will probably happen a few times before I get it to where I'm happy with it. But the nice thing is... I can create an index and always find what I need. So it, it's never been an issue for me. Do you just use blank notebooks or lined notebooks or grid notebooks or something like that? It has to be dotted. It's got to be the dot grid. The dotted grid. I'm a dot grid person. Everything is dot grid for me. Is there any reason for that? I really like dot grid. I don't know why I like dot grid. Okay, it just has to be. It's not because yeah. of some feature. It just is because of preference. I think so. Part of this might be I went to college initially for mechanical engineering, and I was very good at it, just didn't like it. And everything I did for engineering was on grid paper. Like that's just what we were required to use. And I loved the structure of that. So I think that's a carryover. I think that's genuinely what it is. But I like it being dotted because then it doesn't lock me into the lines part of it. It's not overbearing, and yet I can get the box grid if I want it. Speaking of, of being a carryover, do you think that your admiration for pen and paper is a carryover from just that the time period that you grew up in, or do you th like in the way that you grew up, or do you think that it just is genuinely a better tool for the job? Uh, that's a good question. I I grew up... Uh, like they they were teaching us typing in elementary school, so I can't say that the vast majority of what I did was on pen and paper. I think that's a newfound thing for me because so much of high school and college was on the computer. The only reason I had to use the the grid paper was because it was all math problems, and they wanted us to spell out how we got to an answer. So you had to do it on paper because there wasn't a clean way to do it on the computer. I don't know that there is a clean way to do it on a computer yet. But I think it has more to do with me just realizing that analog tools have a benefit that I was previously unaware of. Yeah. No, that's cool. And I mean, this is this is the thing with productivity and task management and all of this stuff is if there was one perfect way to do it, we would all be using it. But that's not the way that it works. Exactly. Every single person works differently. Different things work differently for different people. And along the way, you've discovered that analog works really well for you. And that's great. I love it. And I'm very interested to hear how this, this well, we, maybe we'll call it an experiment. Maybe we'll call it a trial, but uh, whatever it is, yeah. the, this, this <laughs> new method of recording your tasks works out for you. Yeah, we'll have to check in on this one occasionally because <laughs> I'm still a little nervous about it. It's, it's very encouraging what I've seen so far. At this point, I would I think what I would recommend to people is if you don't have a task manager, I think I would probably push people towards paper to start to figure out how you would want to use a task manager before you go digital. I think that's where I'm currently landing and wish I had done that originally. But the actual system on how I maintain and keep track of stuff, especially coming from OmniFocus, that's going to flux and change. I'm, I'm certain of that.